Good morning. It's Sunday, the 22nd day of January 2017. Before 1973, only about 100 cases of multiple personality disorder had ever been reported in the medical literature. By 1980, cases were into the thousands. What changed? A book called Sybil. And that's the subject of the 118th episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. Sunday, it's time for coffee, and I'm your host and storyteller, Jeff Kelly. Thanks for having a cup of coffee with me this morning. Things are a little weird in the States right now, as we have a new and controversial president. In a situation like this, all we can do is, well, hope for the best, but this is not a political show, so we'll move on. But you know, stranger things than what is happening now have happened in the past. If you want to hear more about odd elections in USA history, listen to the History Files Show 75 Election Shenanigans. And speaking of the History Files, congratulations to the History Files' Nancy Fry for joining the Moving On podcast, Psycon's own movie review show. I always thought the show could use an opinion from somebody from this side of the pond, so to speak, and... Moving On is a fantastic show, and and I'm sure it'll only get better with the addition of Nancy. So, today we talk about multiple personality disorder. Before we begin, I want to assure you that I know this psychological condition is no longer called multiple personality disorder. It's now called dissociative identity disorder. But while telling today's story, I use the outdated terminology for the simple fact that That's what it was called at the time today's story took place. I just don't want some college student who's taking Psychology 101 to send me an angry email. Oh, and last week, I forgot to mention this, but over the holiday break, I received a wonderful gift from a listener, Bjorn Jansen. At least I assume he's a listener, and I hope I pronounced his name right. Anyway, he sent me a French coffee press and some coffee from Johan and Nystrom. And again, I hope I pronounced that right. I believe it was a Swedish coffee company, and it was good coffee. Thanks so much, Bjorn. Gifts such as this are always welcome at the Coffee with Jeff recording studio. And when I say recording studio, I'm actually referring to my living room. Anyway, before we get started, I'd just like to give a little plug here to my new YouTube channel called Old Man Kelly on Film. It's basically just little five-minute videos I put together on the early days of cinema. I've got four or five videos up there so far, and I hope to have more soon. My goal is to post a video a week, but we'll see how that goes. I've just decided to put two of my favorite things together, film history and making videos, so... I'll have a link to this new YouTube channel on my show notes for this episode. So today is an unseasonably warm day in the northern suburbs of Chicago, and I've got a hot cup of coffee, so sit back and enjoy a story of a girl who may or may not have had 16 personalities. This podcast is part of the Psycon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash Psycon. 
That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. My next two guests uh, have an amazing and frightening story. Uh, will you welcome, please, Dr. Cornelia Wilbur and Professor Flora Schreiber. This is just one of the most fascinating cases, I guess, that's ever happened in, uh, in psychiatric history. Has anybody suggested this is a hoax? He, oh, he needed some evidence. A uh... hoax has been breathed down our necks by various people at various stages of this project. Actually, experience. it isn't a hoax. Tragically, it isn't a hoax. It would be much better for Sybil <laughs> and possibly for all of us if it were, because this was dreadful to bear. This is true. It doesn't sound plausible. It doesn't sound possible. But true, it is. In 1976, a made-for-television miniseries called Sybil, starring Joanne Woodward and Sally Field as the title character, Sybil Isabel Dorset, a girl suffering from multiple personality disorder, premiered on NBC. The miniseries was based on a book of the same name, a nonfiction account written by Florida Schreiber about psychoanalyst Cornelia B. Wilbur and her treatment of Shirley Ardell Mason was reported to have 16 distinct personalities. Both the book and the film were a great success with its shocking and disturbing true story, yet there were many who questioned the book and the story of Sybil and her 15 other selves. Shirley Adele Mason was born on January 25, 1923 in Dodge City, Minnesota. She was the only child of carpenter and architect Walter Mason and Martha Alice Maddie Atkinson. Her parents were Seventh-day activists, a Protestant Christian denomination distinguished by its observance of Saturday. Now, Seventh-day activists believe that the second coming is going to happen at any moment, and no thought should be wasted on anything other than Jesus and his return. Therefore, all forms of fiction were not allowed. Movies, books, short stories of fantasy were banned from Seventh-day activists, but Shirley was an imaginative child who loved creating stories, so she did so in secret. This probably caused her great guilt and may have led to some of her later mental issues. Betty Borsch Christensen, a neighbor of the Masons, said in a 1999 Newsweek interview, Shirley was very protected. Her mother didn't let her do much. She had a witch-like laugh. She didn't laugh much, but when she did, it was a screech. She remembered Maddie walking around after dark, looking into neighbors' windows. Mason's second-grade teacher, Frances Abbott, said Maddie Mason would grab Shirley's hand in a vice lock when they crossed the street. She said, Shirley couldn't get free even if she tried. She was always a timid little soul, always under mother's care. Now, in the book Sybil, it describes sexual and physical abuse upon Sybil from her mother, but it should be noted there has never been any evidence that her mother ever abused Shirley. Shirley was a very intelligent person, but always had severe emotional problems. After graduating high school in 1941, Shirley left for Mankato State College, which is now Minnesota State University, to study art. For the first couple of years in college, things went pretty well, but then things started to go wrong. She started having blackouts and emotional breakdowns. For help, she turned to Dr. Cornelia B. Wilbur, a Freudian psychologist. Dr. Wilbur was the kind of doctor who was always looking for the next best thing when it came to the treatment of the mentally ill. 
She was involved with giving shock treatment to patients and performing lobotomies in the 1940s. These practices and how they were used back in the day are now known to be very abusive, unethical, and they destroyed many lives. Wilbur had a mentor, psychiatrist Dr. Robert Dieterle, who was involved with some strange psychiatric practices of his own. Dr. Dieterle gave a book called The Dissociation of Personality, written in 1906 by Morton Prince, to Dr. Wilbur about multiple personalities. She was fascinated by the book and, apparently, gave a copy to Shirley when they met. Nine years later, Shirley was working as an art teacher when she decided to go to Columbia University in New York to get her master's in art education. It was there she began to see Dr. Wilbur again. It might have been that she just needed a friend to talk to, but they began to do some normal therapy for the next couple of weeks. It also might be pointed out that at this time, the 1957 film Three Faces of Eve came out, a very successful true story film about multiple personalities. Then one day, Shirley came in and was acting strange, like a little girl. How are you today? Wilbur asked. I'm fine, but Shirley isn't, the woman who had been Shirley the last time they had met answered. She's so sick she couldn't come, so I came instead. Wilbur asked her to talk about herself. She said her name was Peggy, a little girl with dark hair who was there to stand up for Shirley, something that Shirley couldn't do for herself. Peggy would have fun when Shirley was too scared to do so and get angry when Shirley should, but wouldn't. When they met for their next session, Shirley Mason apologized for missing her last appointment, seemingly not knowing she had been there as Peggy. That was it. Wilbur started an aggressive treatment on Shirley, injecting her with hypnotic drugs, one of which was thought to be the truth drug, sodium pentothal, and she began to record all their sessions. Through the use of this style of therapy, Wilbur identified 16 different personalities, and with this, Wilbur began to look for a cause. She figured that there must have been some sort of trauma in the past that caused Shirley to split into all these fragments. During these drug-induced question-and-answer sessions, Shirley began to remember being abused by her mother, being tied up, having things inserted into her genitals, and other horrible things. Now, the normal course of action when one comes across such an extraordinary case as this one would be to write up the findings and publish them in a scientific journal. This allows colleagues to evaluate the work, point out possible errors, and verify the findings. It's called the peer review process. It's a way in science to maintain standards of quality, improve performances, and provide credibility to one's findings. It's one of the most important parts of the scientific process. But Wilbur didn't bother with this part of the process, and instead talked to a journalist and friend named Florida Rita Schreiber about making her and Shirley's story into a book. Schreiber said she would do it on one condition, that the story ends up with all 16 personalities merging into one. In other words, she wanted the book to have a happy ending. Three years later, Schreiber got her wish. She received a phone call from Shirley and went over to her apartment and found Shirley having some sort of a fit. She was jumping and falling as if tormented, and then suddenly she was all one. 
Somehow, all 16 personalities were now integrated into one soul. She was whole again. In 1973, the book of Shirley's case was published, with Shirley Mason becoming Sybil Dorset to protect her identity. The book was a huge success, selling more than 16 million copies, and quickly was made into a two-part television movie starring Sally Fields as Sybil and Joanne Woodward, the woman who had starred as Eve in The Three Faces of Eve, as Cornelia Wilbur. The television film was a huge success, a breakout role for Sally Fields. The real Dr. Wilbur and Flora Schreiber began making appearances on television talk shows and became rich and famous as a result. For decades after the book and film, the real identity of Sybil was kept secret. Flora Schreiber died in 1988, but before she died, she stipulated that all her materials be archived at the John Jay College Library, where she had been an English instructor. In 1998, a historian of psychiatry, Peter Swale, began looking through her files and discovered the true identity of Sybil, that it was Shirley Mason. And actually, this was no surprise to the people of Mason's hometown, Dodge City, Minnesota, who had all come to that conclusion after reading the book. Eventually, all of Schreiber's papers were unsealed, and upon looking at those, as well as reviewing the recorded tapes of the drug-induced sessions, experts began to question the truth of Shirley and her 16 personalities. According to journalist and author Debbie Nathan, who wrote the book Sybil Exposed, the extraordinary story behind the famous multiple personality case, Shirley was a highly imaginative child who loved to make up stories. She lived in a fantasy world as a little girl, Nathan said. Now, Dr. Wilbur was already interested in multiple personality disorder and suggested that Shirley read up on the subject. So with that idea in her head and possibly wanting more attention from Dr. Wilbur, Shirley might have begun to fabricate personalities to please Dr. Wilbur. Dr. Wilbur administered Thorazine, an antipsychotic that can have very, very strong side effects, including hallucinations. This according to Debbie Nathan. And she gave her intravenous barbiturates, which can cause all kinds of fantasies, which seem very real while the person's having them. They're like nightmares, but when you wake up from them, you believe that the material you fantasized about really happened. That's the thing about drugs like sodium pentothal. It has the ability to turn suggestions into false memories. Once Wilbur learned of Shirley's other personalities, she offered to treat her for free or on credit and asked Shirley about writing a book with her about the case. The problem with using drugs, or even using hypnosis without drugs, is people can be very susceptible to suggestion. A doctor has to be very careful on how he asks a patient questions. If one would say something like, did your mother abuse you? The seeds of the idea of abuse by a parent has now been planted. This, according to Nathan, is what happened in Shirley's case. She said, The doctor would ask leading questions, which quickly came to focus on her mother. Eventually, there was a very detailed story of sexual torture by her mother. And it was that torture that was supposed to have been so horrifying that, sh that surely the child, or Sybil, had to encapsulate that in different parts of her consciousness so she wouldn't remember it. Herbert Spiegel was an American psychiatrist who popularized therapeutic hypnosis as well as, as a mainstream medical treatment for patients suffering from pain, anxiety, and addiction. 
Dr. Wilbur asked Spiegel for his assistance in the Mason case. Spiegel saw Shirley for approximately four years, and he diagnosed her at the time as schizophrenic. He also discovered that she was highly hypnotizable. One day when Wilbur was unavailable, Shirley asked Spiegel, Do you want me to be Helen? According to Spiegel, Shirley told her that Helen was the name that Dr. Wilbur gave her for this feeling. Spiegel believed that Wilbur used names as a way to identify aspects of her life or perspective. Spiegel saw Shirley's personalities as game-playing. When asked to help write the book, he told Wilbur and Schreiber, But she's not a multiple personality. He said, Schreiber got into a huff and then said, But if we don't call it multiple personalities, we don't have a book. The publisher wants it to be that, otherwise it won't sell. He said he wanted no part of their book. When asked if he regretted taking that stance later, he said, No, I'm embarrassed by it all. I think this chapter of multiple personality disorder will go down in history as an embarrassing phase of American psychiatry. According to Debbie Nathan, when Shirley began seeing Dr. Wilbur in New York, Wilbur was a very busy woman that didn't have time to give the attention to Shirley that she needed. It wasn't until she came in acting as the little girl Peggy that Wilbur began to show a real interest. And remember, Shirley knew of Dr. Wilbur's fascination with multiple personality disorder. And it was soon after that that the use of all types of drugs were being used by Wilbur to treat Shirley. A massive amount of drugs, all to remember her trauma. And like I said, one of those drugs was sodium pentothal, which was at the time still thought of as a truth drug. People actually believed that one couldn't lie while under the effects of sodium pentothal. And they just didn't realize how susceptible people were under the influence of the drug to suggestion. Along with the drugs, electroshock therapy, something that Dr. Wilbur used in the past, was used on Shirley. Within five months after hearing about Peggy, she had revealed at least four other personalities. And at this time, Wilbur was becoming more like a mother to Mason, giving her clothes and paying her rent. And she made it clear that she didn't like Shirley's real mother and encouraged her to tell awful stories about her mom while under drugs. Peter J. Swales, the man who first discovered Sybil's true identity, said, There is strong evidence that the worst abuse in the book could not have happened. Again, according to Nathan, Shirley Mason, Dr. Cornelia Wilbur, and Florida Schreiber worked together to figure out how to put together a book on the case to make it a bestseller. One change, she said, was that most of the personalities in real life were children, but many were changed to adults to make the book better. She claims that the final book was more a work of fiction than nonfiction. And she said the identity change was not to protect her privacy, as they said, but to keep others from finding out the truth, like going down to the small town where she grew up and find out her mother wasn't the crazy, abusive parent the book claimed her to be. A five-page letter was found in Schreiber's archives at the John Jay College Library, dated from 1958. It was from Shirley to Dr. Wilbur, and part of it read, I'm not going to tell you there isn't anything wrong but it is not what I have led you to believe. I do not have multiple personalities. I do not even have a double. I am all of them. I have essentially been lying. She also wrote, 
I was only distraught and desperate the day I acted like Peggy. I injured my hand as I was cutting a linoleum block and was dwelling morbidly on the fact that you told me a week before that you would be leaving Omaha sometime within the next year or so. I was trying to show you I felt I needed help. As for her so-called blackout she was having that led her to Dr. Wilbur, she wrote, I make certain successes in art or teaching or music or whatever momentarily. Then I cannot seem to take any successes. And then I get the tremendous and uncontrollable urge to do some fool thing. The last few years, the fool thing turned out to be to disappear and make people think I had no knowledge of what I had done or where I had been. Quite thrilling. Got me a lot of attention. Apparently, Dr. Wilbur had dismissed this letter. She thought it was Shirley's way to avoid any further therapy. All three players in this story are now gone. Dr. Cornelia B. Wilbur, M.D., died on April 10, 1992, after a long illness. Before she had died, she had diagnosed Shirley with breast cancer, and Shirley, being afraid of doctors and hating hospitals, declined treatment. When Wilbur died, she left Shirley $25,000 and all the Sybil royalties. Shirley Mason was living with her at the time of her death. Flora Schreiber died of a massive heart attack on November 3, 1998 in New York City. Shirley Mason spent her final years painting, gardening, and taking care of her cats. You can find images of her paintings on the internet. She died of breast cancer on February 26, 1998. A good friend, Nancy L. Preston, wrote the book After Sybil. She believed that Shirley did have multiple personalities, and she said Shirley Mason confirmed this in letters that she wrote to her before she died. In this grainy training film, a young Dr. Wilbur injects psychiatric patients with the barbiturate sodium pentothal. Although known as truth serum, the drug was later found to produce false memories. It was this World War II-era technique called narcosynthesis therapy that Dr. Wilbur later used on Sybil. The myth was compounded when Dr. Cornelia Wilbur joined forces with another ambitious woman, magazine journalist Flora Schreiber, to write the book Sybil. Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old gold and listen to the sad sack. Much of the story, but not all, was based on Debbie Nathan's book Sybil Exposed and some of the other talks Debbie did on Shirley Mason. Like in all these stories... Debbie's book has attracted its own controversy. There were many who attacked this book, mostly by those who believed that Shirley actually had 16 personalities, like Mason's family and Dr. Patrick Sarachi, who was personally acquainted with Shirley Mason. Whether the story of Sybil was true or not, it did start a huge multiple personality disorder hysteria. Cases skyrocketed. People began going to psychiatrists for such things as depression and coming out believing that they had all other kinds of personalities. Daytime talk shows were loaded with people with strange claims, most of which were discovered through the use of hypnosis and drugs. This led into the whole awful satanic scare of the 1980s, in which, under the same conditions, kids were remembering all sorts of strange and probably untrue events, sometime with disastrous results. People served jail time over what were probably false memories. Anyway, that's another story for another day. 
One thing that strikes me about this case is that, well, and again, I'm not an expert, not even close, but if I understand all this correctly, people are not usually cured of things like this, but they learn to live with their disorder. When people hear voices, those voices never really go away. They just learn to ignore them. In the case of Three Faces of Eve, while the movie might have led viewers to believe that she was healed by the end of the film, the real woman the story was based on, Chris Cosner Sizemore, never lost her other selves and just learned to live with them. By the way, in the end, Sizemore was thought to have at least 20 other personalities. She ended up being married and having kids, and they all had to learn to deal with her problem. But again, that's another story for another day. In fact, that might be next episode's story. But my point is, if Sybil or Shirley were cured by some sort of screaming fit or whatever it was, it was a pretty remarkable outcome, don't you think? But heck, who am I to say it was fake or not? And now the ending credits. You know, it's listeners like you that make shows like this possible. If you'd like to help us with some of the costs of running a podcasting network, visit our Patreon page. You can find information at the SciCon website. That's www.csicon.fm. And of course, a sincere thank you to all of you who already support the show. Another way to support the show is to send me coffee or coffee-related merchandise like Bjorn did. <laughs> and while at the SciCon website, you'll find that SciCon is the place where you can find a ton of amazing shows. The History Files this week is one I especially enjoyed. Well, I mean, I enjoy all of them, but this week Gordon and Nancy talk about news, real, fake, and yellow, all throughout history. And with what's going on nowadays, it really hits home. Check out the History Files and other fantastic shows at SciCon.fm. You know, you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason, like to complain or just to say hi. I always appreciate hearing from you. You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is coffeewithjeff, all one word, and I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page. Story ideas are always welcome and usually needed. If you want to support the show but you don't have the coin to help financially, and believe me, I understand, then just go over to iTunes and leave a good review or a few stars. Those really help. And remember, links to all the sources I use to write today's story can be found at Psycon's Coffee with Jeff page. I'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson for having this podcast on the Psycon Network, my wife of 32 years for being my wife of 32 years, David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickert for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to all those that repost the show on Facebook and Twitter. You have a special place in my heart. Until next time, this is Jeff saying thanks for listening. Bye. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. I once knew a man who used to drink his.
Thank you. 